I'm just looking up pictures of Jake Gyllenhaal's eyes. <laughs> that sound you hear is my my right. soul slowly leaving my body. No, 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 no. Ah, he does have weird eyes. You're right. Googly eyes. I don't know what Taylor saw in him. I'm Rob. And I'm Marty. And I'm back. And welcome to Trades Planning, a podcast that tries to make sense of international trade, business, and expat life without putting you to sleep. On today's episode, we'll try and put the economic and trade ramifications of the past few months in perspective, see what's changed and also what hasn't. For instance, ships running aground. We'll also welcome back Staten Island's favorite son onto the broadcast, because Lord knows what we need these days are more hot takes. And as always, we'll have the usual listener feedback and news roundup. Can I say it? Go ahead. So yeah. let's get into let's it. Let's not digress. digress. Let's not digress. Well, everybody, welcome to episode 30, which you'll be happy to know, unlike previous episodes, is the atomic number of zinc. It also happens to be one of the minerals I'm taking as I recover from my skiing accident. You'll be happy to know that in the words of James Brown, I'm back. Dun, 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 dun. Uh, anyway, before we get to the serious stuff, we did have some listener feedback about our last episode. Namely, did Artie and Rob break up? Who is Michelle? And is Artie okay? What actually happened to him? What does, you know, going horizontal on a ski slope mean? Well, what did happen to you, Artie? Well, funny story. When you're skiing, you don't want to actually fall because it's not a good thing. No, I actually, I had a listeners, some listeners know most probably don't. I had a pretty bad skiing accident back in January. I've been sort of recovering since then. It's taught me a few things, namely make sure your helmet doesn't come off when you do fall because that does lead to serious brain injuries. And so I'm slowly, slowly, it's funny, but it's not funny, slowly recovering from that. Almost not quite yet at 100%, but good enough to do hot takes on this podcast. On a more serious note, Rob, you'll be happy to know that in the totally not overplayed joke segment that the supply chain crisis may be over because my bathroom cabinets are actually supposed to arrive in a couple of weeks. But they're not here yet. No, no, but they're on the way. So it is a, it is a still a crisis. Yeah, I think it's on the ship that's stuck in the Chesapeake Bay, uh, which okay. we'll get to later. Or is it the one that's burning with the Audis on the bottom of the sea? No, it wasn't an Audi, unfortunately. For me, the crisis is long past. I have my bicycle. It's sort of the get out of jail free card for anybody you buy stuff from. It's like a supply chain crisis. You can't get it or it's 6,000% more expensive. It's also the get out of, you know, get out of script writing for us. Anytime you get lost, you just say supply chain crisis. It's sort of how I get out of doing anything at home nowadays. I'm just like brain trauma. Can't do it. Anyway, it's not, it's a, not joke, a joke, but it is a joke. It's not a joke, it's, folks. It's not a joke. I'm trying to make light of it. Trade planning is cathartic, but now we are moving on to another segment. To another segment. So let's get to it. So let's get this uh, news segment started. Normally you start this, but I'm feeling generous. That's great. That's great. That won't last. No. So <laughs> I know you haven't been, uh, you know, super aware. You've been sleeping a little bit these past three months, but a lot has been happening. So apparently I went off Twitter. I woke up and there was an invasion, supply chain, more, more supply, supply chain crisis. Yeah. Inflation is kind of a thing again. It's still a thing. Yeah. And Will, and Will Smith. And, and Will Smith smacked them, buddy, as soon as I came to. Yeah. So that was, that was. So I guess moral of the story, Artie should always be on Twitter? No, it's, uh, it triggers me. In a, in a because, good way, because like all, of a sudden, all, of a sudden, all of a sudden you saw pseudo experts who knew what they were talking about overnight. Anyway, one of the things that happened while you were maybe taking a little a couple months off there is globalization ended. 
So we've had a, we've been showered with various types of analysis that indicate that globalization is being reversed. And we know why. So we know that economic camps seem to be separating out. Even we talked about this before your, before your sick leave, that China was kind of delinking itself in some ways, trying to insulate itself from sanctions and from the West. Now we have, of course, Russia and people are really taking sides. They're even talking about taking, taking away most favored nation status, the WTO, taking people out of the, the UN Human Rights Commission. And Saudi has been like a chair of that. So there's a lot of reasons why we think the direction of travel now is away from globalization and what this could mean for things like global standards, what it could mean for cost, what it could mean for supply chains, and I guess what it could mean for trade becoming distorted by geopolitical factors. So if I don't like you, I don't trade with you anymore. And we don't know how much, I mean, Russia bad, I think we all agree, but I don't know exactly how bad you've got to be for me to stop trading. We didn't stop trading with the Saudis, even though they're responsible for the, by far the worst humanitarian crisis currently mm -hmm. in the planet. So, so globalization is over. Prove what me wrong. <laughs> Convince me. You're like that guy in the yes, chair. Exactly. That means. Yes. Um, I, I think it catches, it's a very catchy headline. I think like most things, I, I'm hesitant to, to jump onto that um, bandwagon, so to speak. I think it's difficult to say it's, it's ended. It probably have, has changed. Some would say for the better. Some would say it's just changed point blank. I think what we're seeing is, you know, supply chains sort of shifting and some, maybe not um, reshoring, but reshoring. some nearshoring or attempts at nearshoring, at least attempts at making more resilient supply chains. So we've seen the trade of grains actually mm -hmm. shift over the, the past few months because of geopolitical events. And I also think on top of that, we've been sort of coddled the last 20 to 30 years growing up in a in a global environment at least for the most part where these types of events didn't happen you know I, I think even if you went back just you know three months ago many people were predicting that actually this was just posturing on russia's part you know because because so many things were at stake in terms of global grain supplies fertilizer things like this so we've seen mm -hmm. all of these prices energy, energy. prices yeah. go up as a result of these things so for me it's it's a reaction to i don't think that it necessarily means that globalization is over, although it does make for a catchy headline and you get really cool speaking slots if you do yeah. say that. So Michelle, are, do you care about globalization? Is it over? Is it not over? I feel like every time anything happens, we all start screaming that globalization is over. So yeah, I, it's kind of hard to care after 10 years of the exact same headline over and over. And there's a lot of also bad things about, I mean, I'm kind of arbitrage on labor, you know, sustainability as a backlash has been because globalization allowed us to search for the least common denominator in terms of pollution. So there's a lot of things also that I think are coming out of all this that may be positive. The, re the rise again of global labor movements, global due diligence, maybe globalization isn't that great. You don't know what you got until it's gone, Rob, is all I will say. <laughs> you mercantilist. I, I think part of it is, is true. We've seen the U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tide talk recently in, in front of Congress talking about how these trade deals, quote unquote, are, are 20th century tools, you know, which should be in the toolkit, but we need new ways of thinking. There's been lots of backlash within Congress to to this these types of positions. So they're they're focusing much more on, you know, labor rights within the U.S. Now, the question is, why would countries in, for example, Asia or, or, or elsewhere sign up to these trade deals if they're not getting, you know, market access to the U.S. in return? 
I don't think anybody can tell you which way it'll go, but there has been a, a clear pushback on this. So that's why I'm hesitant to say globalization is, is over, so to speak. I don't think it'll ever be over. I just think the way we go about it will, will shift and there'll be probably countries who are cutting themselves off. Yeah, I do think, but I do think we will see distortions that do not follow what my economics textbook told me in the 1990s. So friend shoring, so-called friend shoring, makes no economic sense. So I need to, you know, locate my production in Canada because I can't trust, fill in the blank, I can't trust China. Doesn't, you know, friend shoring doesn't make any, doesn't make any sense. And we also see, you know, a lot of the, these kinds of things now being determined, like we have trade negotiations here in Geneva that are being interrupted by discussion, discursus on Ukraine. So, or the politicization of trade bodies like the WTO. So I think that there's also been a counterpoint to that as well, which we can get to later on. But I also think, you know, just to, to add to that, I think silicon chips have become an area where you're seeing a lot of, of this back and forth on. So, you know, people are talking about reshoring on the basis of national security concerns. And I think you're going to see more of that. I think in some case, you know, people can go overboard with national security because if everything becomes a national security concern, then nothing is, right? But you're seeing, you know, people talking about, I think there was a silicon chip manufacturer, I believe it was Emac in Belgium, who was talking about opening up a, a sort of university type of research center within the U.S. as a wink and a nod to this type of reshoring effort, despite the fact that they're going to keep the main center of gravity within Belgium at this point. So I, you're seeing this, this discussion go on. I think there are pros and cons to, to both, right? I think you're seeing that there is a clear need for more resilience in the supply chains because it's only a year or two ago that we saw that there was shortages of toilet paper. And so I can see the the argument for people who say it actually we need reshoring, although I don't necessarily agree fully with it. I think there, there's, there's a better answer to it some way. Yeah, I mean, diversification itself, it, it reduces risk. So, you you know, you're, you're across many countries, not just China, not or, you know, the, the the exposure, even in the case of some kind of geopolitical issue, is 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 lessened. So let's see. I mean, you know, it's a, it's quite easy to sit in the armchair right now and say things are going to change, but the most mostly what's driving change in most value chains right now is cost. So China's cost goes up, so you start to invest in other places. You start to diversify out. Supply chain disruptions cause people also to try to reduce risk, as you say, by diversifying. But that's not because China, Russia bad, you know, U.S. good, Belgium medium. It simply makes sense from a business standpoint. So go on to the second thing. I mean, you know, food food prices are skyrocketing. Of course, the the amount you and I and Michelle spend on food as a, as a percentage of our income is is minimal. Mm. Right? It's not it's not very much. It's been going down. <clears throat> Speak for yourself, Rob. Always giving us the millennial perspective. <laughs> You're really putting her on the spot. Data would indicate it's it's around 10%, 10-12%. Whereas for somebody in Burkina, it's probably 30, 50, or more percent. So when their price goes up for wheat, for grain, for staple crop, it's very serious. We might get a situation where they're not going to have enough to eat. And we see the, the, the FAO has an index on food prices, which is as high as it's ever been since they've been uh, monitoring it. We know, I mean, there's a lot of people banging drums about Ukrainian grain, about lack of fertilizer coming out of Russia, lack of agricultural inputs, all of this leading to, and of course, there's also speculation. So folks get anxious, they start buying cargoes of grain, things start to go up. So for me, it may not be the fact that prices, food prices are going up, but it's the implications in the countries where we work, for instance, in, in Africa, take an example. Egypt is a big food importer. Nigeria is a big food importer. That when food prices go up, 
you see a lot you see a lot of different effects and 2008 2011 when we had commodity price spikes we had massive political changes we, we saw coups in uh, in west africa would that happen again and what will be the long term implications of of this particular price spike and i guess the the other thing that can happen is if countries are better prepared they start subsidizing mm, right There's so the, I, I need to start subsidizing your food it starts having a big suck on government budgets and again, you have, you know, long-term implications. So this, this is where I think we'll see the the penny sort of drop, so to speak. I think, you know, governments on one hand are fighting inflation with subsidies and, and how long can they keep up with, you know, interest rates rising and, and things like this. It'll, it'll, it's quite scary to think about. But on a positive note, I think, you know, you've read a lot about grain supplies in Ukraine. I think there's something like 150 million tons or some, some crazy number like that. In the short term, I think supply chain logistics managers have been able to find solutions in the short term. The problem is if this conflict goes on for much longer, you know, say goes into the summer, that's when you really see this having a, a big effect on, on the countries you mentioned and, and others like it, like them, sorry. You know what this also has an effect on though? Journalists writing about how people can make it through price increases and how they can keep living their life comfortably. <laughs> what, what are some of the good ones? Well, I read quite a few of them last weekend when all of them seemed to come out at the same time. And I think the most important one was stop paying for heating and instead get more blankets. I think that was a slogan in the Middle Ages. My, 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 my British relatives, used to, they used to heat only one thing, the towels. There's a towel heater. And so the rooms actually, you know, you feel your hair kind of waving around with the wind whipping through there. Oh, and hot water bottles. I think I'll do this last bit because I'm feeling in the zone and I don't know how much longer I have left yes. in the tank for, for this recording session. And this is probably the, my favorite one of the bunch. Uh, last year, we talked about the Ever Given. This year, we're talking about our sister ship. And as I said, not to be outdone, not to be outdone by the West Coast, container ships on the East Coast have now started piling up at a much much uh, greater rate than what we saw on the West Coast just months ago. And as I mentioned, another ship got stuck in the Chesapeake Bay, which Rob is very familiar with. Chesapeake Bay, in, uh, absolutely. Sadly, it didn't block traffic. Well, you know, ever forward is what we always say. It's also and, the name of a ship. You know, yeah. get it? Because it's a sister ship of the Ever Given. It's everything it says ever. They must be twins because, you know, and also that twin can't be outdone by the other ones. So like, I'm just going to block. So what is the deal? The, the ships are too big. There's too much wind. What is it? Bad, bad pilotage. The Ever Forward has been stuck for three weeks. And they're looking at a new approach to moving the vessel, which blocked the Suez Canal, which only blocked it for one week, actually, which is crazy because it feels like it was a month. Yeah. 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 It was a, it was a lot of material. I mean, it kept <laughs> us going for quite a while. Frankly, it was a whole episode and a different and an interview. I, I I don't think there was that much in the news cycle because we that felt like there was that's all people were talking about like ever given jokes. But not ever forward, it's been stuck there for three weeks, more than three weeks, and it's been taken two unsuccessful attempts to free it. And officials are trying a new approach, so hopefully that one works. And this is only as a couple of days ago, so we don't have any news on if they actually moved it. I don't know what that means for the company because I don't think I would want to put any of my containers on that shipping company. I don't know what you think, Rob. I don't know. If this, I mean, maybe we just weren't aware of these things. Maybe ships go aground all the time. They've got massive insurance policies. Probably don't just... Sounds like a good opportunity to bring on Jan Hoffman for Third Time's a Charm. Yeah. Talk to us about why this keeps happening and is he responsible for it, essentially? Yeah, it's, exactly. We start interviewing him. Ships start getting stuck. 
You didn't. No, ask. ships get unstuck after we interview him. So we're kind uh, of like the good luck chuck. True. Good luck chuck. Of ships getting stuck. <laughs> Why don't we have any interview guests this week? Good question, Rob. Well, I think it's because Artie is finally, finally back, back on the podcast. And we wanted to make sure that this was a special episode to welcome him back. Wait, wait a second. This is the only All About Artie episode? <laughs> that seems limited. Oh, guys, stop. Stop. But go on. Well, since we're talking about Artie, there is one news item that's not in the script, which I think you need to speak to, which is Staten Island is saving the world of organized labor. So the workers of Staten Island voted for a union. Amazon workers of Staten Island voted for a union. So this, this, you know, we've been talking on and off about, you know, is this whole, you know, pandemic, is that, has that turned things for, for organized labor? And this vote, you know, it's been a long time. Amazon's, I think, frankly, suppressing unions, fighting against it, saying it doesn't make sense. And we know all of their labor practices in general. And now uh, Staten Island comes out and just says, Forget, Forget about, about it. it. <laughs> hey, you see where our minds are linked. Maybe you have brain trauma too, because we thought about the same time. Yeah, I, I think. Well, again, I'm I'm reluctant to to jump too much on the positive side of it because you know there was a a vote. I think it was Alabama a month or two ago, which was voted down by the the Amazon employees uh, with regards to forming a union there, which wasn't successful, and people saw that either saw it as a sort of death knell for unions or as a victory for Amazon, right? And now we're hearing about this news, which again is positive, may be sort of harbinger of things to come, but I'm reluctant to say that, okay, unions are back and, and things like this, because again, it's in New York City where, th where this happened, uh, even though Staten Island is, is not known to be a liberal right. bastion. Uh, I still think uh, on that front alone, it probably is very positive that the fact that they've, you know, did have this vote. It'll be interesting to see what happens, what Amazon does on their part, whether they say, okay, we're relocating in a couple of months or a year or things like this as a result. It'll be interesting to see because what the response is to this, if they just say, hey, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll move on, or if they allow, you know, collective bargaining and, and, and labor rights and things like this. So the, the, there's this constant back and forth. I think over the last 40 years, we've seen unions are pretty feckless, if I can put it lightly. I, I think there's a number of reasons for that, but I think we're still relying on you know, the 1960s model of, of unionization. I don't have the answer, but what uh, a different form of unionization looks like, you know, broadly speaking. It looks like TikTok. Well, I don't think it looks exactly like social media. It actually looks a lot more like something you do in person for these new unions. I don't know if you read about what this particular union was doing in order to, uh, you know, gather people around and, and gather support. But they were giving out free food, helping out the community, giving out free weed as well. The philosophy was make people happy by whatever means you can. And, you know, in some cases it's weed, in some cases it's food or whatever you can you can help people with. But I think this is a very interesting approach, especially for new unions. Right. Because, again, I think we're operating on a much more you know, antiquated model of what a union is or what it can be and, and things like this. There's also been a concerted, at least I'm talking from the U.S.'s perspective, because in other countries, this, this is not, not necessarily true, but there has been a concerted effort the last 40 years of, you know, unions are bad because they're all Jimmy Hoffa, essentially, and they're all controlled by the mob, which in some cases is quite true or was quite true. Nowadays is not the case. You know, the, it's still used as a cudgel to 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 attack the anti-union movement. So it'll be it's really interesting to see how it plays out. I don't think um, this is the last we'll see of it. On Michelle's point, I think it's I, I don't think that handing out marijuana at a cookout would work as well in Alabama as it does in Staten Island. 
New York City, where the liberal elites are, quote unquote. I think weed is is quite universal. And it's, if, you, if you played Leonard Skinner, Sweet Home Alabama, while you're handing it out or doing the cookout, then you've got a winner. Yeah. In, in Alabama. That's what she means, tailored to your local community. I thought you were going to say, that's interesting, Michelle, because I thought you were going to say they used digital media and they used TikTok and all that. They didn't use any of that. No, not not in this case. I mean, I would say that social media is definitely useful, but it's mostly for getting people to accept unions as a concept. But when you're talking about this sort of specific localized community, I guess, he, especially after two years of pandemic, you want to see people around you and you want to sort of know who's going to be a part of this group with you. Well, I think on a union, when you're talking about a union type of vote, I don't think there's a need to reach... You know, it's only the union members themselves who are voting. And so it's a much more hyper-localized thing. I don't think there's a need for some, you know, TikTok or Twitter hashtag movement to to get raise people's awareness of, you know, what I'm voting on. If you're not a member of, if you're not an Amazon employee, what do you care about the hashtag necessarily? No, I think, oh yeah. I think general community support does make a difference. But also, it would have been funnier. It's like, when you're just about to go and vote for a union, ting! Somewhere Jeff Bezos is crying. That's actually the best part of this. Have you seen Jeff Bezos recently? He looks like um, a pitbull. I don't know what happened to that guy. Then he went to space with cowboy boots on. Pitbull? No. Jeff, <laughs> Jeff Bezos. Is there a difference at this point? No. <laughs> actually, Jeff Bezos can probably call, has more reason to call himself Mr. Worldwide because he's been to like the very beginning of space was it don't get me started on that well we'll keep we'll keep an eye on all these items if uh, perchance per if you go to sleep for another couple months we'll 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 keep tracking these we'll that we'll fill you in you'll fill me in on what's happened i'm sure you you did a great job filling in everybody else last time just it was very sort of just alluding to Artie's not here because he went horizontal well Artie, that brings us to this week in local news you wouldn't believe this was true unless you lived in geneva or anywhere else this is the one, the one that kept you motivated to get better. So we're, we've got a couple of things we're tracking. Obviously, there has to be a discussion of watches. There has to be because it's it's gone global. Swiss people, they went medieval a couple of weeks ago over a plastic watch, which is basically a plastic watch. Swatch stores, yes, they still exist, faced lines of over, like I think it was 1,000, 2,000 people at both stores in Geneva two weeks ago at the end of March, which is crazy enough because it's switzerland after all and they are swatches until you hear that people from new york to dubai tokyo london and australia basically all across the world did the same so they went crazy for these plastic or what swatch is calling bioceramic moon watches so they're it's a collaboration with omega of their famous omega speedmaster and swatch is producing them at the low low or relatively low cost of 250 bucks, 260 Swiss francs, excuse me, as opposed to, you know, 6,000 Swiss francs from Omega. And so people went bananas. They were fighting over it. The Swatch stores sold out everywhere within, you know, minutes of opening, even is though there was a line cool of... Watch? It, it's you, pretty do you cool. like it? Uh, yeah, I'm getting one or two. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's it. And anyway, what I wanted to say is somebody in New York got stabbed online. <laughs> uh, that's how crazy it was. They had to shut down the store in Tokyo. First you voted for the union. And then he uh, skated on down and stabbed somebody in the swatch line. Forget about it. In London, they had to close the store because of COVID worries, that there were too many people crowding. And it's literally just a throng of people around the little swatch store in the middle of London. Tokyo actually had to cancel the, the opening because there were too many people fighting. It was, it was pretty crazy to watch here in Geneva, let alone the world. 
it, Geneva was crazy. You had, you know, I had just people sending me, you know, Instagram stories and, and videos. It was, it was pretty insane to watch. And that's why all news is, is local. That is local. I mean, this was local everywhere. I would not wear that watch. Are you going to even wear that watch? No. In, in the summer, I will. <laughs> okay. Well, I know that you have been watching things like Ukraine, you know, rising global prices, potential food crisis, things to do with WTO collapsing and so on. Here in Geneva, Coco and Roxy, two dogs that, that work at the local hospital here, are missing. The, the interesting thing about the story is it says that they were out walking freely in an area they knew well, and then people lost trace of them. So what are they trying to indicate? That maybe they made a run for it? The chupacabra is on the loose. <laughs> like these, uh, Coco and Roxy knew exactly where they were going. It's like a hell, it's like a Thelma and Louise type situation. I, I think they just left home because they're angry that their owners named them Coco and Roxy. I don't know. They look really peaceful. One's a Jack Russell. One of them's got really short legs. I don't know how you get away with that. Also, and I think this is probably, you know, a little, it's a little sad, the Coco and Roxy situation, obviously. But the ornithologists were also absolutely tickled because a rare bird was sighted by the lake. The Marouette Poussin. That, no, that was, was that was me. Was it? Because I was peacocking. <laughs> they said, oh, it's a rare bird. It's like, no, it's just me. So this Mawet Poussin, I don't know what it, it looks, it looks like a little sandpiper. It's got a nice little tail, sticks up in the, in the rear there. So I don't, I don't think we need to be constantly reading over and over again about global crisis when there's also, you know, these stories that are out there. What's the bird called again? Mawet Poussin. I told them I hated that name. <laughs> <laughs> you call me that. But last but not least, another one of our potential competitors Seems to be biting the dust. You remember uh, Harry and Meghan? Who? Yeah, exactly. Never met the guy. That blog didn't come off. Pence? Mike Pence. Mike Pence. He had a blog. He had a date. Uh, he was going to have a podcast. That went the way of the dodo. I think now Trump has, a, has an app or had an app or is trying to have an app called Truth, which apparently is just Twitter, but not Twitter. But apparently it's disastrous. It isn't available on Android phones, web browsers, not available outside the U.S. Guy was saying... He's uh, 1.5 million in line to get his, to get his, uh, to download mm -hmm. his truth app. As he was waiting for a swatch. Probably. <laughs> so I think it's just another example of, you know, the world needs trade splaining because it doesn't need the rest of this. Because they need something to, to, to look forward to and know that it'll always be there. Would you, you would have downloaded it. The truth social? Just to see the fire festival of social apps, which it is. But no, just so they can't say that I have one more listener, which is me. Michelle, did you download the Truth app? Well, actually, if it's just the fire pit of social media, that actually just sounds like your regular day on Twitter. <laughs> it's true. So it is. It's, wait yeah, a second. We're addicted, we're addicted to Twitter because people love their, giving their thoughts on things, their two cents. I'm not addicted to Twitter. Just I just retweet and the occasional tweet about something, but mostly retweets and likes. But I, I, I've, I've not gotten to the point yet where I can spend significant time. Also because I was laying on the couch and in bed most of the time that I was on Twitter. So I didn't have much energy to, to actually write my thoughts and put them in the public square, which probably takes bravery, but it takes a lot of energy. She's been doing a lot of tweeting on various things. Actually, have you heard of the term twat? The people who only work Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, TWAT. So these are the people who are tweeting. The rest of the day they're tweeting. Uh, if you see Monday and Friday, they may be on a, on a TWAT okay. schedule. And what do you call them if they're tweeting every day? <laughs> like throughout the day. <laughs> I already, if you haven't been on Twitter, what have you been doing? Well, Rob, you'll be interested to know I've been doing a lot of listening to audiobooks. 
I guess, and, yeah. And because I can't actually read a book, but audiobooks <laughs> come in handy. Audible, specifically. Audible books. That's interesting because I was also looking on Audible books and I saw a book called Live Wire. It presents new discoveries from author Eagleman's own laboratory from synesthesia to dreaming to wearable neurotech devices that will revolutionize how we think about the senses. It's about neuroscience and the magical brain. Sounds thrilling. I can't wait to listen to it when I get home. You can get it free by going to audibletrial.com forward slash splaining and you can get one free book when you sign up. When you sign up, and then you can get more books that are not free, so but yes, will be excellent. I'm signing up on my wife's account to get a free book. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you. That, our sponsor will be very happy that you're finding ways around paying for books. <laughs> we also want to thank our sponsor, Audible, for sponsoring today's episode. We also want to thank Michelle for not only helping in producing today's episode, as always, but also helping us in co-hosting today's special Return of the Mac. Please also don't forget to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so already. Make sure you catch our next episode coming out very, very soon. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or really anywhere else you get your podcasts. And also don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, hashtag five stars. They do help and we know you have the time. It's also quite easy. If you can tweet, you can leave us a review. You can also follow us on Twitter at Tradesplaining or on Instagram at trade.splaining. And you can also send us your emails. You can also send us your questions or comments the old-fashioned way at trade.splaining at gmail.com. Once again, that's trade.splaining at gmail.com. And folks, make sure to listen responsibly. Listen responsibly.